Welcome to part two of the book of Philippians. We started it last week. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are going through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written. Several were written all at the same time. So we are in Philippians chapter two, starting at verse 12 today. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There are several things about this that um, really interest me. When I was a boy, the work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, that was where we focused. We locked right in there. But let's not ignore the compliment. He starts off by saying, you've always done well. You do well, not just when I'm there. Some, the fact is you, do, you even do great or even better when I'm not there. That's a standard compliment. He is not trying to say, you, you, know, you even act better when I'm not around. It's just showing his confidence in them. But then says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What, is, what are we gonna do with that? When I was being raised, as being told that our salvation could be taken from us at a moment's notice or, or with no notice at all. We just had to believe the wrong thing or not believe exactly right to have precision obedience. If we messed up something, there would start graving terror that we might've gotten something wrong. Somebody spoke when they weren't supposed to. Maybe they, somebody wasn't wearing a tie or they forgot to do a particular part of the worship and it doesn't matter. It was all about, we better get this right, and God demands precision. That's not really what's going on here. They're in the real world. And in a Roman world, it wasn't always easy to be a Christian. It was certainly not easy at this stage, and it was gonna get a lot worse. There are gonna be all kinds of things, storms these people are gonna meet. And he's saying, I've got confidence in you, work it out. You know, fear and trembling was an expression that they used. We might have said reverent, cautious, eyes open. But don't miss something. Work out your own salvation. Uh, it's not just delivered to you then. It's not in one of those brochures by the entryway in the foyer that you pull off and say, here is what we believe and why, with all the proof text aligned. It's not in the how do we take the Lord's Supper book. It's not in the what songs does God like book. It's not even in a what happens if your first marriage blew up book. It is, you know who you serve. You serve Jesus. Now work it out. Work it out. Don't take it lightly. There, there will be times of fear and trembling as you're figuring this out. And there are gonna be times you get it very wrong, but work out your own salvation. And there's that word, your own salvation, again. It's rather like Paul, uh, and again, obviously this is Paul writing, but when he was uh, in 2 Timothy, and before anybody leaps in there and lets me know this, I already know that most scholars don't think Paul wrote 2 Timothy, but until I'm convinced otherwise, I'm just gonna use his name. In that book, as he talks about his oncoming death, he, talks about, I have finished the fight. I have finished my course, his course. 
not Peter's, not John's, certainly not Patrick's. Your course and the way that you walk, work out your faith before God may look very different than the way I work out my faith. But that's always been a part of the faith. Now, we need communities. Uh, no, so God's not releasing us all as lone rangers into the world. But I certainly have a community with our safe harbor and with churches that I've met with, with law enforcement people, with military people, uh, literally around the world. I have these communities. You have your community too. And your worship may look different than ours on a Sunday. It may look more Episcopal or more Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or might look more Pentecostal or you know, Appalachian Mountain Church. Okay, we work out our own salvation. And repeatedly, we are warned not to meddle with others. That's Romans 14 and 15. If you, if you remember those lessons we had, and if you don't, they're all online. They are all free. Uh, and again, to answer a question, which comes up every so often, people say, we know you guys need money, and you could earn a lot more money if you put all this behind a paywall. You know, and people had to be like a Patreon subscriber you know, at $5 a month or even $1 a month or something. No, we just don't want to put Jesus behind the paywall. And Jesus is what it's all about. And enough people do send us their mites, you know, you know, 10 here, 15 there, and sometimes a big gift that we're doing fine. So everything is up there. Everything is free. And you can go back and re review Romans 14 and 15 as many times as you like. And in fact, it's even copyright free. So you can go back and you can download it, as far as I'm concerned. You can transcribe it. You can preach it at your church, teach it to your... We won't copyright these things because I just don't think Jesus needs to be behind the paywall. All right? Fair enough? So we work out our salvation. We don't try to tell other people that they're doing it wrong. Now, if we think they are doing it wrong, it's okay to have that discussion. But if we have not convinced them, then we should treat them as a brother or a sister and just be fine. It's amazing how rarely we can do that. It's amazing how many times you can say something on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or the like, and other people feel necessary to correct you. Don't do that. Look on here, verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine out like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run and labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Oh yeah, there's a whole lot in there. What's going on? First of all, do everything without murmuring. Or complaining. Did you, did you? I will not have that. He just killed social media. <laughs> he, uh, he also killed church fights. I'll never forget, I was guest speaking at a church and they were gonna, uh, right after the worship that Sunday, they were gonna all adjourn to another part of the building and have a meal together. And then we were gonna come back for a couple more hours for me to teach a couple of classes. This happens very often. 
that as I'm holding back, waiting to make the transition from one place to the other, someone will come up to me and they will say, there, there are about 10 things that one hears everywhere you go if you do this uh, very often. And one of them is a telling on the church that you are already there working with that day. A lady came up and she said, what do you think about the music they had this morning? And I said, I, I have no opinion. She looked at me and she goes, well, I mean, the, the music here, uh, I just, <sighs> and so she made it very plain. She was not well pleased and she was a member there. So we talked for a bit and I finally said, well, they weren't singing to me and therefore I don't need to have an opinion on it. She goes, oh, well, I just wish, he's trying to get me on her side here, it's so hot. I just wish they would sing the kind of songs God likes. Okay, we have to go there. I said, well, and, and what kind of music would that be? And she, would, she named a few hymns and I said, do you like those songs? She goes, well, of course I do. I said, whew, you dodged a bullet there, didn't you? Right, you're, you, you, lucky for you, you and God like the same stuff. Um, it, the conversation didn't go the way she wanted it to go. We murmur and complain because we feel like the universe should be all lined up for us and people should do what we say and think and feel is right. But where'd we ever get that idea? Certainly not from scripture. We're to work out our own salvation, don't murmur, don't complain. And again, a lot of that is in Romans chapters 14 and 15. He says, this way you will stand out. In other words, there are not a lot of people that'll do this. There are not a lot of people who will keep their minds and their heads and their hearts steady and not get knocked off by this or that or the other. They'll just keep shining. And by the way, the world is very dark. Um, I think it was last week, uh, maybe uh, on a uh, Monday morning message, we record these six to eight weeks early that I said I had no idea what was gonna happen in Ukraine. Well, in the last few days before this one's recorded, about weeks before you'll see it, uh, war did break out. What do we do? How do we handle this? Here's the general rule. When the world gets darker, shine brighter. I cannot fix Vladimir Putin. I cannot fix Xi of China. I cannot fix Biden, I couldn't fix Trump, I couldn't fix, fix the Bushes. I can't fix whoever you put up there. I cannot stop a war here, there, or anywhere else. But what I can do is work out my faith in love, serving others in love, without judgment and without heat. Because that's my job, and it's your job. And when things get really dark, that's when people need the light. Be the light. Be the reflection of the light of God. And so we work out the word of life. What is the, the word of life? And by the way, some versions say, hold on to the word of life. Either way, remember that Jesus is the word, John chapter one, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. So yeah, hold up Jesus. Because Jesus said, if he's lifted up, he will draw all to him. So let's lift him up. Uh, lifting us up hasn't gone well. He says, I hope, in a, and by the way, this is a little personal bit 
of the book, but we can learn something from it. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Again, he is in prison. He is not demanding that God free him and claiming so many promises. Instead, he's saying, I'm really, really confident this is going to work out. <coughs> but Timothy is a special person. And I think he's a special person, but he's also a special person to Paul. Paul referred to him as his son in the faith. As far as we know, Paul was never married and never had children. He certainly was not married during the time we know him in Scripture. We don't know about his earlier years. And certainly if there had been a child, you would have thought that had been mentioned. So we think he was lifelong unmarried, but we really don't have any basis for thinking that. It's just an assumption we make. But Timothy was brought under his wing early. Timothy um, was evidently quite an able teacher of the Lord. And Paul tended to put him in places that Paul really liked, where Timothy could really you know, enjoy his ministry. So he's going to send him to Philippi and then get news back. Now these days, it's so hard to imagine that back in those days when somebody went on a journey, you didn't really have an expectation of seeing them again. If they got on a ship, you know, later on, you know, to cross the ocean to the new world, you, you assumed you had heard and seen the last. There'd be no letters, there'd be no news. And it's hard for us to believe, or to understand that today in the age of instant connection. Well, Paul here is saying, you know, Timothy's looking out after me and he's going to go out there, but he's also going to come back. And if we understand the book of Acts and some of the other epistles that he wrote, yes, yeah, Timothy did do just that. But now here we get to a personal aspect that we mentioned briefly in the introduction last week. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that you may see him again, and you may be glad and may have less anxiety. Welcome him and the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. It, I'm, I'm not sure I could say books have been written about this passage, but certainly substantial papers with all kinds of ideas about what background would have been behind this. And it is fascinating because you can tell reading this that there's something else going on. So once again, I have to remind you that when you are reading the Bible, you're reading somebody else's mail. Now, it might be somebody else's book, like the books of Kings or Samuel. But when it comes to the New Testament, more of the books are epistles or they are letters. And we're only reading one side of the exchange. Clement, in fact, one of the early church fathers, referred to Paul's epistles, plural, to the Philippians. 
but we don't know exactly what he meant by that. And so we, some people believe that there were three and that they were all pushed together to make this book. But I'm not, you know, and because chapter three, one says finally, but he doesn't finally, you know, there's more to it. Here they also wonder what's going on. Epaphroditus was a messenger sent from Philippi. We know that. We know he made it to Paul and that he did give him news and bring him a gift. You know, again, you need to remember that in many places, even today in our world, if you are put in prison, the only food you get is if people bring you food. And the only change of clothes you get is if somebody brings you a change of clothes. And because clothes wear out, they can get stolen, you're gonna to have to keep coming back. And because food is consumed, you have to keep coming back. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus mentioned, you visited me in prison. Well, Paul is in that circumstance. He's under a form of house arrest, but it is still arrest. That is not some club fed, easy going prison where everything is supplied to him. So Epaphroditus brings the love of the church at Philippi uh, to Paul and takes care of him. But somewhere in the process, Epaphroditus becomes very gravely ill. And then that news works its way back to Philippi. And the people there are very distressed. And that distresses Epaphroditus. I get that. When I'm sick, I don't want visitors. Even if I'm in the hospital, I just, I don't want visitors. Don't want them to see me that way. I don't want to expend the energy of having to interact with them. And I'm a very, very private person. So I get that oh, I didn't want people to know. We didn't put up that we had COVID until we were well in it and on the way out. Um, we, we just, we didn't need that kind of attention. And Epaphroditus is really upset. And there does seem to be <coughs> a little undercurrent of wonder whether Epaphroditus did his job at all. And so Paul kind of goes over the top here, which he does in Philippians. He, he, he loves these people to make sure they understand he's a fellow soldier, he's a fellow worker. He did a great job. He did what the rest of you were unable to do. And so don't, by the way, that last one, risking his life to, to make up for the help you could not give me. English is a very complex language, but it is not nearly as complex as languages that have many voicings and many tenses. And you, it's, some of them are really difficult. And this form of Greek is one of them. Uh, it is not saying, all right, he came to help me and you guys didn't. It looks like that, but that's not what it's saying. He was able to get to me, whereas they obviously, not all of the believers in Philippi could make that journey. So he did something that not all of you could do. So I want you to receive him back as a hero because he nearly died to do this, all right? And then finally, my brothers, chapter three, verse one, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and, and it is a safeguard for you. Uh, I like this about Paul and about Peter. P Peter says, now you already know all of these things, but I plan to put you in remembrance of those things that you already know. I like that. I think that's a really good, first of all, we need it. We need to be reminded, but also it's a good rhetorical device. It gets people's attention. It's another way of saying, come back to your first love, as John the Revelator might've said, um, and saying instead, you know, hey guys, remember this is what we're about. This is our situation. 
I teach a, a course to law enforcement prof uh, professionals from the city and county level all the way up to Interpol, Europol, um, Canadian Provincial Police, you know, FBI, all of them. And we adjust it for what they need, but it's called mental body armor. And one of the aspects of it, I've thought about doing part of this online with Oshsi on this channel uh, somewhere, but it wouldn't be a Monday or a Wednesday. So I'm trying to figure out how I do it. But I talk about the three questions you must always ask yourself. And I ask myself these questions more than once every day. Where am I? Where do I want to be? And what will get me there? And it's all about, you know, every thought and every action, every attitude is a bus going somewhere. Do you really want to go where that bus is headed? And if you do, are you on the right bus? And so this is another way just to stop, recenter, and think. So what do, what do we know, Paul? What have we already been told, but we need to remember? Open our eyes, keep our head on the swivel. What do we need to be looking at? Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. All right, you ready? This makes no sense without context and without a historical knowledge that you can get. I mean, it's not like Patrick has a special gift or anything. There are many, many books. There are many, many commentaries. Uh, there are many historical records. What is he talking about? Paul suffered his entire ministry being attacked by his fellow Jews. You know, again, most of the believers in Christ at this time were Jews. And I say at this time, I actually don't know when that tempting point came when there were more Gentile believers than Jewish believers, so I could be wrong there, all right? But especially the first generation or two of the church was primarily Jewish because they had been prepared for the coming of the Messiah. They knew the scriptures. They understood the scriptures once they were opened up to them. Uh, that said, Paul didn't get a lot of difficulty from secular authorities. Hang on there, I know. I know, we'll get there. The Romans didn't dislike Paul. The rulers of towns didn't really dislike Paul. What they disliked was a lack of order or the peace of the town, the peace of the empire. Well, what did Paul do to threaten the peace? You know, he might have been uh, there, but he was not the proximate cause. He would be teaching. And his fellow Jews who did not accept that Jesus was the Christ would then come against him. But that doesn't seem to be that big a deal. It were those who called themselves Christians, those who were Jews who called themselves Christians, who gave Paul the hardest time because they believed very sincerely that to be a Christian meant you were to be a Jew. Now, you'd become a proselyte if you were a Gentile. You would convert to the Jewish religion. And part of that, um, the shorthand for all of this, was those of the circumcision, because that's one of the more well-known, uh, that and eating kosher. Um, you know, there are some foods you can eat, and this is the way you must prepare your food. Uh, the men are to be circumcised. Women were never circumcised. That became, that was more of an, uh, an African Arabian thing, which became an Islamic thing in some countries. Uh, it's, it's butchery. 
and there are those um, medical doctors, and, and in fact, there's even a couple of major organizations that want to stamp out circumcision. Well, circumcision was a very valuable health action back in the days pre-soap and running water, but whether or not that's why God had it instituted, uh, there are way too many arguments out there and I don't want to join them. Needless to say, you, uh, you came to Christ and you decided to follow him and you were baptized. And then your fellow believers around you said, welcome, welcome. Now, Patrick, we also have to do some surgery on you uh, because this is, you know, we have to also, you have to obey these certain holidays, these certain food restrictions. And Paul stood up and said, no, 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 you don't. Those are done away. Those brought us to Jesus, but those have been fulfilled now. When it's fulfilled, filled, you can't put more in it. It's, it, it's over here. As uh, the Eastern philosophies would always tell you, the usefulness of a cup is in its emptiness. Well, this is full. So the, this tutor has brought you to Christ. And we already looked at that, didn't we? Uh, therefore, now you go with Christ. And you don't need to drag along with you all of this. Well, that was heresy and blasphemy to many of the Jews who were Christians who believed that God was bringing everybody into the Jewish circle, not that he was enlarging the circle from the Jews to everybody, including the Jews. There's no substitution. They're now part of a larger worldwide thing. So they were demanding people be circumcised. And Paul says, watch out for the dogs, the evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And that's where we need to have a talk. If Paul were to speak like this today in a pulpit or on Twitter, the church would come after him with pitchforks and torches, saying, how dare you call human beings dogs? How dare you say that these people are doing evil? You need to be more Christian. In fact, if Jesus were to stand up and say Matthew chapter 23 among religious leaders today, he would be attacked for dehumanizing others. For Now, I'm not at all saying that we have this carte blanche to attack. I don't believe we do. We certainly can't slander or libel, both of which involve untruths. We're not to gossip, gossip which would be perhaps a truth, but better left unsaid. No, he is warning the Philippians because this movement is coming there. I am constantly amazed at how many people who follow Jesus all of a sudden start falling under the sway of those who think that to follow Jesus and make him happy, you have to do more Jewish things and learn some Jewish words and the like. You can follow Jesus and adore the Jews and adore the Old Testament without believing you are under obligation to fulfill this. And this became, I would assume, the first church split. You know, how much do they have to do? And you can read Acts 15 as to how the early church council in Jerusalem dealt with this by saying, leave each other alone. But here, Paul is in prison because of these people. He only gets food, heat, books, clothing, but the generosity of people who come a long way because these, they call them Judaizing teachers, 
Uh, and again, this is not Jew versus Christian. These are Jewish Christians who believe that people should, uh, men had to be circumcised, they had to keep the holidays and the laws, the Torah. So they come after Paul. And he had to go from city to city be, being driven out by people saying, you're disturbing the peace here. You're a danger to the peace here. You must move on. And it got so bad, it got to the ears of the Romans, um, the you know, Caesar's household people, and he's put into prison. So he's understandably extremely upset, and he knows that Caesar could render back a death penalty, and there's no appeal. And it's hurting the Jesus story. Because the Jesus story is one of freedom, of one of love, of one of grace. And instead, they're turning it into, yay, you took Jesus. Here are all the rules. Jesus didn't die. He wasn't resurrected. And he didn't ascend to his father so that you and I could pile rules on each other. Uh, you may want to go back and look at March the 6th. I believe that was the first Sunday in March. And listen to that worship and the sermon. Um, no, hang on. It wasn't. It was uh, February 27th. February 27th. And the sermon is called The Seven Woes. And it's out of Matthew 23, where Jesus said, don't do this. Just live out your faith in Christ. Work out your own salvation. But these people were not happy with that. And they threatened Paul with death on several occasions. They tried to kill him on several occasions. And they are hunting him in the name of God. And Paul says, that's not the work of humans. That's a dog. That's an, that's an unclean animal. Dogs were unclean to the Jews. And they're, they are mutilators of the flesh. In other words, Jesus isn't impressed. He just isn't impressed by this. He wants you to open your heart to him. He's not asking you to remove a bit of skin. He goes on to say, I was, I am one of the circumcision. Paul would have been circumcised on or about the eighth date. Uh, he would have followed all of those rules as a Pharisee. He would have followed them very intensely, never backing off. And so he says, I'm, I have reasons to be confident in what my body shape is, as in uh, I am circumcised and I only put in there the right foods at the time. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, Paul doesn't do this very often, but he is going to throw out his qualifications on the table and say, you beat that before we have a discussion. I have um, very rarely ever tried to play that card. And there, there have been a couple times where I think I played it and I was probably being a jerk instead of being what I thought I was at the time. And that was just setting a record right. Uh, so I try not to do it either. And Paul tries not to do it. In 2 Corinthians, if you remember, when he trotted out his qualifications, he said, I feel so foolish. I don't, don't understand why I have to do this, but I will do it anyway. So here he says, you, you're going to try to out-Jew me? He's proud of being a Jew. He goes, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Brothers and sisters, I grew up in a tribe where legalistic righteousness was the minimum. 
you were not a member and you were not considered in good standing without legalistic righteousness. That was your, that was step A. There weren't a lot of steps after it, mind you, but step A. Paul's saying, I got all that. I had all that. I'm, I'm better at this than you, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, uh, this might have been a challenge point for some. Uh, for example, they say they love the law. Paul saying a Hebrew of Hebrews is a way of saying, I know it better than you do. Test me. Let's test each other. I can remember once being lectured by a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I was standing with another person and they were really lecturing him about the meaning of different Greek words. And they had their translation of their Bible up there and even had pictures which have since been removed of um, ancient manuscripts. And the reason they've been removed is part of their arguments were, well, Jesus is called God with a little g. And, uh, and there were no little g's and they were all unseals back then. But anyway, they were lecturing this guy now, the Greek here that, and the guy know Greek. And he stops and he goes, oh, so you know Greek. I just looked at him and he said, well, to make this easier, why don't we have the rest of this discussion in Koine Greek? Well, you know what happened. That's really what Paul's doing here. He's saying, you, you want to belly up to the bar and arm wrestle over who's the greatest Jew? Let me show you my biceps. And then he says this, just when you think he's uh, puffed up a little bit, torn the sleeves off of his shirt, he goes, but whatever was to my prophet. In other words, all of that, that people would have said, go Paul. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Remember where he's sitting. He's saying, I've lost everything. And yet what I've received far surpasses all that I've lost. And part of what he had lost was that self-assuredness that I believe right, I'm in the right group of believers, we have the right name, and we do the right things. Therefore, I'm right. He said, I lost that too. But what I gained was Christ, knowing Jesus. That's a message which I keep pushing and for which I'm still called a heretic in many circles today because I don't call for a legalistic righteousness and because I say it's unnecessary. Have Christ in your life, work it out where you are with what you've got. That's what Paul's saying and he's saying, I lost everything by human, um, you know, any standard you'd want to apply to this except the spiritual. And he said, then I've gained so much. She goes, he says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And by the way, rubbish is a word that means dung. And there were other words that is also meant. Our translators try to save our precious wee ears. Um, but he's talking about the end result of the, um, on the south end of the alimentary canal. All right, we're good with the kids in the room? Fair enough. It's all rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ Jesus. So although I say the Nicene Creed and I say the Apostles' Creed and I mean it, if you can't, okay, 
All right. Do you know Christ? Do you love him? Okay. That, that's fine. Because our righteousness isn't going to be coming from us. It's coming from our faith in him. It's not who you are. It's who you believe in. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I, I want to know Christ. Think of this. He's in prison for Christ. He's lost everything for Christ. He's not a young man. This hurts physically, emotionally. He is separated from his friends. But he goes, I want to know Christ. But we thought you already knew him and that's what got you there. No, it's not like that. He wants more. I want to know Christ. I want the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain resurrection from the dead. And there's where we're gonna to need to stop it because the thought then really takes off into a beautiful passage, and that's for next week. You mean a lot to us. Thank you for your gifts, for your prayers, for your emails. Thank you for subscribing. Wow, you encourage us. God bless you. Oh, I can't wait to get to the rest part of uh, the part of chapter three. See you next week.